0: We are studying the last few verses today of Titus chapter 3, Titus 3 verses 12 to 15. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenus the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul follows his usual practice here at the end of the letter to Titus in uh, dealing with some practical and personal matters. Certainly these matters are not as important as the uh, substance of the letter here in Titus, and the same is true in other letters as well. Nevertheless, these uh, things do reflect Paul's concern for the uh, individual saints, and for the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ in his day, and uh, a practical working out of the idea of the communion and the unity of the saints. And I think it's on that uh, note that we should uh, look at all these different matters, how they uh, show us the outworking of the communion of the saints. There are basically four matters that the apostle deals with in these uh, four verses. The first is his desire that Titus uh, come to meet him at Nicopolis. The second is uh, that Titus and the saints in Crete uh, help Zenus and Apollos on their journey. The third is in verse 14, a concern that the saints there in Crete learn to maintain good works. And then finally, the uh, salutations or greetings and the benediction in verse 15. So we'll look individually at each of those matters. Now, uh, first of all, about the city of Nicopolis then, uh, there were, uh, according to uh, commentators about three cities called Nicopolis in the Roman Empire at this time. But it's thought that this one was probably the Nicopolis, by the way that simply means city of victory, that this city of Nicopolis was probably the one on the western uh, shore of the uh, what we know as Turkey today. I'm sorry, western shore of the Grecian Peninsula, across, therefore, from Italy. And notice that the Apostle Paul was not there in Nicopolis at that time. He speaks of going there to spend the winter, and undoubtedly uh, he had to uh, plan ahead for the winter because uh, travel in wintertime would be difficult. Uh, We know from Acts 26, for example, that when uh, the Roman centurion, in taking the Apostle Paul to Rome for his first imprisonment, uh, got into trouble on the Mediterranean because of the winter weather on the sea. And of course, especially in mountainous uh, Greece, uh, winter weather would restrict land travel as well. So Paul would make his plans then to spend his Winter time in a particular place, and he had chosen Nicopolis probably because he felt that would be the most profitable place for him to continue his work as an apostle. And he wants Titus to join him there, surely because he wants Titus to help him in the work, whatever work it was that he was planning to do there or from there. But he also does not want Titus to leave Crete until Artemis and Tychicus come. When, he says, when I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis. So Titus is not to leave Crete until Artemis and Tychicus have uh, arrived there. And it seems to be then the case that the Apostle Paul Uh, felt that the churches in Crete were not mature enough yet to take care of themselves, that they were still in need of outside help, and that Paul was enough concerned about them that he did not want uh, them to be without such outside help for any uh, significant period of time. Titus is not to leave until two others have arrived to take over the work that he has been doing. Artemis and Tychicus. We see then his concern for the churches in Crete. Now, we should say a couple of things, I think, about uh, Artemis and Tychicus. The the man Artemis is mentioned only here in the New Testament scriptures, and we know nothing else about him. Uh, this is uh, We can't really say anything about him. All we know of him is that he, um, his name and that he was being sent to Crete by the Apostle Paul was therefore a Christian and was expected by the Apostle Paul to help out there in Crete. But we know more about Tychicus. We first hear of Tychicus in Acts chapter 20. And if you remember um, in Acts chapter 19 there's recorded for us Paul's work in Ephesus and the result of that work the result of that work was that Demetrius aroused the other silversmiths in the cities in the city and some other people in the city against Paul and the Christians there and really came very close to causing a riot there in the city of Ephesus because they were concerned about the collapse of their uh, religious worship of Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians. And in Acts chapter 20, then we read that Paul decided that it was best under the circumstances for him to leave Ephesus. And he went from there to Troas. But when he left Ephesus, he took with him Tychicus and uh, some others who are also helpers with him in the gospel. So that's the first time we read about Tychicus. He was in Ephesus with Paul at the time of the uh, disturbance caused by Demetrius, the silversmith, and others. The next we hear of him is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. Now, the letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote from Rome, during his first imprisonment in Rome. And Tychicus was there with him in Rome, but Paul sent him to Ephesus, perhaps carrying the letter to the Ephesians, in fact. And uh, sent him to Ephesus then to uh, work there in Ephesus at that time. He calls him there in uh, Ephesians 6, a beloved brother and a faithful minister or a faithful diakonos, to use the Greek word, a faithful diakonos. This was then during Paul's first imprisonment. The, the first time Tychicus was in Ephesus was when Paul was there himself uh, just before traveling to Jerusalem and being captured there and then later taken to Rome. The second time Tychicus was there then was when Paul sent him there from Rome during his first imprisonment. And then we read in Colossians 4, verse 7, that Tychicus also went to Colossa on behalf of Paul, perhaps after he had been at Ephesus. And there again in Colossians 4, verse 7, the apostle calls him not only a ber- beloved brother and a faithful minister or diakonos, but also a fellow servant. So obviously Tychicus was one whom Paul loved greatly, one who had been of great assistance to the Apostle Paul in his labors, one who, whom Paul calls a A faithful minister or a faithful deacon, we might say. It's possible even that Paul uses that term deacon in uh, its official sense as it's used in 1 Timothy 3 when Paul talks about the office of deacon and the qualifications for that office. That Titus was, uh, that Tychicus therefore was one of those who had been appointed to serve in the office uh, of helping the poor. And that Paul was using him in that kind of work. He was uh, in Ephesus, uh, he was sent back to Ephesus, he was in Rome with Paul, undoubtedly helping the Apostle there in Rome. He was in Colossa, he was carrying letters for the Apostle Paul, perhaps. And uh, Paul calls him, therefore, a faithful minister, a faithful deacon, as well as a fellow servant. And then we read of him one more time, In 2 Timothy 4, verse 12. Remember, 2 Timothy was written while Paul was in prison in Rome the second time, just before his martyrdom, therefore. And in 2 Timothy 4, verse 12, he is again sending uh, Tychicus to Ephesus to help Timothy in Ephesus. Timothy was in in Ephesus at that time, and Paul sent Tychicus. There probably carrying again the letter to Timothy, and uh, to help Timothy out there in Ephesus. So his work seems to have focused particularly on the city of Ephesus, though he was also in we know Colossa and Rome with the apostle Paul, and probably in Troas as well. But you see how Paul is here arranging for. Uh, men to take over the work that Titus was doing there on the island of Crete. Before Titus could leave there had to be others there to take over his work. Paul was concerned that the churches not be without that help that they needed yet at this point. So that's the first matter. The uh, desire that Titus come to help him in Nicopolis, where he plans to winter. The second matter is this uh, assistance that Paul wants Titus and the saints in Crete to give to Zenos and Apollos on their journey. Now, uh, again, uh, we know very little about the circumstances here. First of all, we don't know what journey Zenos and Apollos were on. We don't know where they had come from whether they were coming from Crete itself or whether they were simply passing through Crete on their way to another place, and we don't know where they were going to. But Paul expects them at least to be there for a time, and while they are there, he wants Titus and the saints in Crete to help these two out on their journey so that they may lack nothing. That is, they are to help them with perhaps clothing, with food, with lodging, with money, with uh, letters of introduction, whatever kinds of things they would need to make their journey as safe and as swift as possible. Again, let's take a little bit of time to talk about the two men who are mentioned here. The first is Zenus the lawyer, and he's mentioned only here, again, in the New Testament. Um, but he's called the lawyer. It's very possible that Zenos was a Jew himself, and when Paul calls him a lawyer, he means that he was an expert in the Jewish law. This is the same term that you find in the Gospels when you read about the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers who opposed Jesus. Uh, so this, it may well be that Zenus was one who was expert in Jewish law, and perhaps he was spending time at at Crete. In fact, to help out with the opposition necessary to the Jewish contradictors who were present there in Crete, and of whom we read in the uh, first chapter of Titus. But we again we know a lot more about Apollos. We first hear about Apollos in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28. And Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria, a city in northern Africa, who had become a believer after hearing about or hearing uh, John the Baptist and who knew the baptism of John, Acts 18 tells us. And he had not only become a believer, but had also become a preacher or a teacher. And at the time that he was discovered in Acts 18, he was in the city of Ephesus, and he was disputing with the Jews there in the city of Ephesus in defense of the teaching and the baptism of John the Baptist. Aquila and Priscilla recognized him as an eloquent man, well versed in the scriptures. If you uh, turn to Acts, Acts chapter 18, you can see that this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So Aquila and Priscilla instructed him more fully in the way, uh, showed him the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and taught him about the baptism, the Trinitarian baptism that the apostles were now practicing and he uh, became an even more vigorous uh, proponent of Christianity to the Jews not only in Ephesus but then also in Achaia. He, he left Acha- uh, Ephesus and went on to Achaia. Achaia was across the Adriatic Sea then uh, from Greece the uh, um, note from Ephesus rather and was the area of Greece where Athens and Corinth the cities of Athens and Corinth were and we actually find then in 1 Corinthians 1 that Apollos did labor in Corinth for a time and became so well known in Corinth in fact that when that Party spirit took over in Corinth. There were some who said, I am of Apollos. Some, I'm of Paul, some, I'm of Cephas, others, I'm of Apollos. This was not according to the will of Paul or Apollos, of course, but the Corinthians had this party spirit, and some of them chose to be followers, as they thought, of Apollos. And Paul rebukes the Corinthians for that party spirit. And he says to them, you are not of Paul or of Apollos, you are of Christ. I planted there in the city of Corinth, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 3, then he says to the Corinthians, let's just look at that passage, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 and 22, He says something very important to the Corinthians, something the Corinthians had forgotten and needed to get into their heads. Therefore, he says, let no one boast in men. That is, don't boast in me, don't boast in Apollos or Cephas, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. In other words, you do not belong to Paul or Apollos or Cephas, they belong to you. Don't boast in them, therefore, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. But we also find then in 1 Corinthians 16 that Apollos was no longer in Corinth at the time that Paul wrote this letter to them. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. So Apollos had had served the apostle in Ephesus and also in Corinth. And Paul then, he's now making a journey from where and to where we don't know but he's making a journey and as he's making this journey he's going to be in Crete for a time and he wants Titus and the uh, Christians there in Crete to assist him and Zenos on their journey to provide for urgent needs and to make sure that they lack nothing for their journey. Again you see this focus on Paul um, wanting the saints to be working together, helping each other out in all the different circumstances of uh, their lives at that time. The third thing that we want to look at then is in verse 14 let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Now this is the third time in this chapter that the Apostle has spoken in that kind of way about doing good works. In verse 1, chapter 3, he said that Titus should remind the saints to be ready for every good work. They must be ready for every good work. They need to be prepared. They need to be taught by Titus and others so that they are ready to do good works when the opportunity arises. Then in verse 8, he says um, that they should be faithful to maintain good works, or careful to maintain good works. So he uses a very similar language to verse 1, but this time he's not talking about being ready for good works, he's talking about maintaining good works. That is, continuing to do them. Not letting one good work or a few good works uh, Give them a sense that now is the time to relax a little bit and, and take a vacation from doing good works. They need to be maintaining good works. And then here in verse 15 or 14, rather, uh, that they should learn to maintain good works. The same basic exhortation three times, but each time phrased a little differently. Be ready for good works, be maintaining good works, now be learning to maintain good works. They need to be constantly taught, and this is something we all need, of course. It's not enough for us to be told once we need to do good works. We know that. We don't forget that, usually, I think, but we need to be constantly reminded. We need to be constantly learning need to be learning what good works are what it is that God requires of us in our Christian life but we need to be learning also to maintain such good works, to be constantly doing them, that's the purpose of this epistle in fact isn't it, or one of the purposes we've seen over and over again that in this book of Titus Paul is concerned about two main things, one is sound doctrine you need to No sound doctrine, and he has those three passages that we've looked at in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, in chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, and in chapter 3, verses 3 to 7, the three verses where Paul summarizes the sound doctrine that they need to know. So he's concerned about their learning sound doctrine, but he's concerned about their learning sound doctrine so that they may have a solid foundation for doing good works. They must also be doing good works. The two things to which God calls us, we could say, as we live our Christian lives here in the world, to be sound in the faith and to be doing good works. Here he says, let them learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Maybe when Paul says that they are to maintain good works to meet urgent needs. He has Zenus and Apollos in mind, in fact, and that, that may be even the reason why he repeats this admonition here. He wants the saints there in Crete to be helping Zenus and Apollos as they're traveling. But it's also possible that this is to be taken in a, in a general way, that they are always to be learning to maintain good works. But he also says that they may not be unfruitful. We should be always bearing the fruit of good works. Remember the, the parable of the sower. The sower went out to sow seed. And some of the seed fell on good ground, and the good ground brought forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, and some hundredfold. God wants us to be bearing fruit. Jesus also talked about this in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, the first few verses of that chapter. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It's a necessary part then of our of the work of salvation that we bear fruit. If we do not bear fruit, We are taken away from the tree, from the vine. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So this is part of that exhortation. Learning to maintain good works means abiding in Christ. so you will be my disciples, so bearing fruit to the glory of God. They must not be, and we must not be, unfruitful then. One who is unfruitful reveals himself to be not a Christian and will be cut out of the vine and burned in the fire. And then finally, the the greetings and the uh, blessing in verse 15. First of all, uh, all those who are with Paul send greetings to Titus. All who are with me greet you, and that you is singular in the Greek. So it's to Titus himself that Paul is sending these greetings. And it's not just Paul Sending those greetings, but those who are with Paul at that time. You see again this this communion of the saints operating here. And they send greetings, of course, to a fellow Christian. They send them in the name of the Lord. They send them to express their desire that all things be spiritually well with tidings. And then in the second place, greet those who love us in the faith. So here. Paul asks Titus to pass his greetings on to other Christians there in Crete, especially those who love us in the faith, those who are believers and who love the Apostle Paul and those who are with the Apostle Paul because of their service to the churches. Send our greetings, Paul says, to them. And finally, the benediction grace be with you all. Amen. That's a very brief Benediction that we have here, of course, um, the briefest perhaps of all uh, Paul's benedictions at the end of his letters, but nevertheless a benediction in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the name of God, a greeting which a uh, blessing which Paul gives to Titus and the saints there in Crete as. God's official representative as an Apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and a messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore a word of God through the Apostle Paul to them. This is not just Paul's wish for them. This is Paul functioning in his office as Apostle, declaring the grace of God to them, on behalf of God Himself and on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. A greeting, therefore, or a blessing to be received by faith in those who hear, and therefore to be blessed by it. So you see this in here, these aren't hugely important matters that Paul is talking about in verses 12 and 13, far from being as important as the rest of the epistle, you do see here a practical working out of the communion of the saints. Paul, various helpers of the Apostle Paul, first of all, therefore, Paul and these helpers uh, expressing their unity and communion of the faith together in their mutual service to, them, to each other and to the churches. You see it in Paul's care for the churches especially at this time, the churches in Crete. You see it in his desire that travelers, Zenos and Apollos, be cared for on their journey. And you see it even in the greetings from one group of Christians to another group of Christians there in the place. It's all an outworking, practical outworking of the idea of the communion of the saints. We are all to be using our gifts for the benefit of other members. And it's for this reason, of course, this uh, mutual building up of the saints and the communion of the saints that Paul is so concerned about the matter of good works in this epistle. The good works are not only for the communion of the saints, but especially for the communion of the saints. Paul also talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4, and we can conclude there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and following, where he talks about the gifts that Christ has given to the church. He himself, that is Christ himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's what we have Paul working towards here in Titus 3. This unity and growth of the body of Christ. And every member of the church has his place. Every member of the body does his own service in his own place to that body. Of Christ. This is why Christ has given us the gifts he has given, whatever those gifts may be, and why he has made us members of his body. We are not just scattered Christians, individual Christians here and there throughout the world. We are members of the body of Christ, called to do good works for others, called to be fruitful, called to meet necessary needs. May God bless his word for us.